I know what you're thinking. I know you think that, man, the governments are running pretty good. <laughs> oh, gosh. You're thinking that the weather occasionally, you know, there's a little bit of rain, but hey, that's what the crops need. Other than that, it's balmy and wonderful and isn't the weather going nice. The financial markets, there doesn't seem mm. to be much stability, mm. right? Everything is just constant uphill climb. Everybody's winning, mm-hmm. folks. And, and if you're wondering who is responsible for all of this, well, it's <laughs> the Templars, oh, obviously. Oh, gosh. No. The Templars and one of their members, Kanye West. So, uh. And if you're thinking, man, I'm so glad everything is going well. Well, today we're going to tell you the inauspicious origins of these Templars and how they've there been doing go. really well ever since the beginning and making all the good decisions. Welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. This Are we is, a conspiracy podcast now? I hope so. Oh my God. I always wanted to be on one of those. We Well, now your dreams have come true, AJ. We, it it turns out it was really easy to get us there. <laughs> just, we always, can't prove that the Templars are not doing that. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Did you never see the triangle on the, t- on the top of the pyramid of the dollar bill? That's got go. an eye in it. It's got an eye in it. Tem- Templars, man. Is there a thing to that? Tem- therefore, Templars. Huh? Why do Americans have that? It's God. It's the all-seeing. It's is it? I forget why. I think that's right. Was it a Mason thing? I no. They're, as in Templars. Do the Templars? Some people think that Masons, uh, the Templars, when they the died, Templars. they sort of came back as Masons. Uh, who knows? Like re- reincarnation? No, just like the ones. <laughs> Seems like a step down the from Templars Holy that evaded. Like the to, yeah, exactly. The Templars that evaded, like. B- b- bloody murder um, went underground and then became, became, masons? Masons. became masons. Well, they were really good at building castles. In fact, they're, one of their castles that they built is going to be a central point of our story today. Ooh, all right. Anyway, let me finish Speaking introducing who we are and yeah. what we're doing. Welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. This is a podcast about the classical world, old books, old art, old stuff, old people, old ideas, and bringing those old things to you in a way that is pa- palatable and fun. We are three educators at a classical school in Austin, Texas, named Veritas Academy. My name is AJ Hannenberg, and I am joined by Thomas Magby. Hello. And Graham Donaldson. Hi. And we three are aspiring Templars. I, mean, I was going to say, we, part, say we, we, are, uh, we, we want to control world events. Is that what we're getting at right now? I, I mean, I'm just, I don't have very much money. That's okay. what, yeah. <laughs> you can't buy your way in yeah. is what you're saying? I, okay. I win... Eight out of ten SimCity games that I play, okay. I feel like I'm a good fit. You're pretty you close. Go. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mean Civilization or SimCity? Either what, way. What's the Civilization game? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> yeah. They both do the same thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. Pretty much. So where we left off last time, the Templars had been established. They started off as like bodyguards to the Pilgrims, and then they kind of not w- the U.S. Pilgrims, not the U.S. Pilgrims, no. the Pilgrims to the Holy Land. Yes. And they somehow like got around. And Holy Land, not the U.S. Correct. Yes, very <laughs> good. You. These are helpful clarifications. <laughs> Just make, I guess this, in case you're confused. Maybe this is our right way of saying there's a uh, Templars Part 1. Yes, there's a Templars you, Part yeah, 1 you can go listen to. You may to. wish to listen to first. And um, a lot of people weren't super cool with taking holy vows and then also being those who were the dispensers of blood and guts, right. the, who were killers. Um, so, But, they, but you know... The, um, in the East, they thought, well, this new political reality is trying to hold the Holy Land, and having these dedicated warriors is probably a good thing. We debated that last podcast. Yeah. So people didn't like holy warriors also being super violent? Yeah. So the new movie, The Popinator, is probably not going to go? <laughs> probably not going to go over super well. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm feeling feisty today. Anyways. I can feel that. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, I'm not doing it on purpose, I swear. <laughs> Where I'm thinking. Do you want me to, can I pull up the no, please our, don't. Our new favorite review that we received? <laughs> you have to now. I waiting think. for I Donaldson. Think you have to. Uh, all I remember is the title being Waiting for Donaldson. It's going to take me a while to get there. So, 
1147, mm-hmm. um, there is this this uh, Muslim warlord named Zengi, and Zengi. Zengi? Um, Zengi. That's not a very intimidating name. I know. Was he become a warlord because he got a complex? Because people. It sounds like yeah. It sounds like a startup company. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Zengi. He was. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, remember our startup company we founded forever ago, Clouder. Clouder. Do you know um, the name for a group when you have so one cat is called a cat? When you have multiple cats, do you know what the name of that is? It's a clouder of cats. Oh, that's the plural. Really? Yes. We. Yes. Anyway, so what was our what was our thing? Was it like it was a cloud based company? Cloud based cat video company. Sure. Now exactly. So clouder now makes perfect sense. Anyway, there's your fun fact for the anyway. Day. So Zengi he uh, went and attacked the northern. Remember how the, the the crusading world was divided into a bunch of different provinces? You have mm-hmm. the kingdom of Jerusalem. You have the county of Edessa. You've got Tripoli, and you've got I don't know some other ones. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I probably don't. Yeah, I can't sorry. remember their names. France, okay. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Zengi went and he took over Edessa. Uh, he conquered it and killed the Christians who were rulers over it. And this got everybody in the Christian West real nervous because there was this warlord and he took over this county of Edessa. And in 1147, the Pope called the Second Crusade and he had two heavyweights who were going to come. He had Louis the uh, Seventh out of France and Conrad. Conrad. <laughs> Louis, and, Louis and Conrad? Zengi yeah. Con- Conrad. Yeah, Louis and Conrad the Third out of Germany. Like a buddy cop movie or something? Yeah, Louis, yeah. Louis, like Louis Seven and, and Conrad Three. Zengi, your safety's on. Um, <laughs> But anyway, Citizens so those two asked. were heavy hitters, and they were going to go and bring their their armies from France and Germany into the Holy Land. Um, and the crusade was called by the nerdiest pope name that I can know of. It's Pope Eugene. Eugene. <laughs> was there a second Eugene? Or was this there... is Eugene the third. This is wow. Okay. So there was yes, there was two previous Eugenes. I don't mm. know how many Eugenes came after that. Um, but anyway, so Pope Eugene the third calls the Second Crusade, and Louis the seventh and Conrad the third go. And they get a bunch of volunteers, but a lot of their volunteers, they had tens of thousands of soldiers, but a lot of these soldiers were like zealous peasants, basically going with like sticks and t-shirts. Like they didn't uh, want to be a smith like their dad. Yeah, yeah. They wanted adventure and then, and so they went off. So, but they also had a couple of thousand of Templar knights and these Templar knights helped keep every, helped sort of keep the troops in line. They helped them sort of organize. And as they were going from France and Germany to the whole, to Edessa, which is in the North, it's sort of, uh, I guess if you, you would cross over Turkey and as you were swinging down, it would be sort of modern day Syria. Um, as they were going to Edessa, um, the Templars sort of helped organize them and train them at least a little bit. And they were going up against Zengi. Um, but at some point along the way, uh, Louis the seventh and Conrad the third like got lost. They got separated, and the French went one way, and the Germans went the other way, and they couldn't find each other. Mm-hmm. And they, Zut. yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, not a happy day. And then right. uh, Zengi sort of realized this and um, had the two armies uh, separated, and he destroyed both of them very easily. Um, so the Second Crusade. Wah, wah. Okay. Um, they they had the, the the Islamic warriors. They had these amazing mounted archers. They could ride their horses without hands. They could steer their horses perfectly just with their thighs and feet, and they could shoot their bows and arrows, you know, uh, at, at a gallop. And so, 
you had these, you know, French dudes in t-shirts chasing <laughs> after horses and these horses basically circling around them and picking them off. It was, Shooting it was very them. bad. That yeah. sounds yes. brutal. It was not Wait, good. so they, th- this whole thing failed because they didn't have Google Maps? Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they didn't have Google Maps. They got lost. And then Conrad got rocked. And then Louis VII got rocked at a separate time. And the whole thing was a giant failure. And there was rumors that like, um, maybe this happened because the Eastern Christians in Constantinople betrayed the Western Christians to, it was basically, they, they got rocked so hard that, um, the pious West was like, there's no way they could have been destroyed without, without sort of treachery. Oh yeah. But, but actually, but actually they probably just, just kind of got lost. Yeah. They got lost and then they got, well, I mean, it's possible that somebody was treacherously leading them astray. It's true. We'll never know, but uh, the Second Crusade was an absolute failure, but it did highlight the fact that Templars were very useful and needed sure. for uh, for this, this thing. So, um, And then this kind of solidified in the people's minds that Templar knights equal crusaders. They were right. with Louis VII and Conrad III, and they were training people, and they were going off, and they raised a whole ton of money before this whole thing happened. So now in people's minds, uh, Templars were, crusader, were crusaders in their minds. That's what that's what I think of, too. I, I was... I, I guess this was part one, but I was most surprised to hear that they, they started off protecting people on way on pilgrimages. Yeah, the whole yeah. The first crusade had already happened, and there right. were no Templars. Right. Um, and so now... Um, so, uh, this Zengi guy took control of the North and he had, he had the County of Edessa and people were a little nervous. Okay. Then you had a new King of Jerusalem, uh, you know, about 15 years later. Um, and his name was King Amalric. Now King Amalric is going to be a big player. Unfortunately, King Amalric is not a very attractive figure to history, um, let me, let me sort of explain. Here's, here's one way that he was described from Dan Jones' wonderful book, The Templars. This is King Amalric. King Amalric of Jerusalem was a struggler. He spoke with a stammer, which made eloquent conversation a chore. He ate sparingly, yet still grew so fat <laughs> that his blubbery pectorals hung down to his waist like an old woman's pendulous breasts. He found it hard to charm his courtiers, who thought him taciturn and devoid of small talk, and consistently lost his pious battle to resist the sin of fornication, sharing his bed with married and unmarried women alike. So, not a noble or honorable man. So, a stammerer, kind of overweight. But at least he can turn that into getting the ladies, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes. There's got to be some... That makes it okay. There's There's got to be some sort of charm Silver lining in every blubbery cloud. All right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. But anyway, and he also was... He was not a very noble person. Um, But he was uh, king and uh, crowned in 1163 when he was 27. His brother Baldwin III was dead and had fever and dysentery that wore him out. And there was rumor that maybe King Amalric killed his brother, Baldwin III, because when Baldwin was really sick, there was this, like, doctor who came, and he's like, what you should do is you should take this. And he gave him, like, this little... Sorry, um, it was Dr. Dracula? Yeah. Help <laughs> him out? Thank you. Good. Uh, I don't know. This doctor <laughs> came, and he gave him, like, this, this uh, uh, medicine, and the king took it and promptly died. Right. And so it was Dracula. So people yeah. were a little concerned, so they took a little leftover, and then King Amalric was like, oh, he's dead, now I'm king. And one of the old loyal servants to Baldwin III took the medicine and was like, I wonder, and mixed it with like some bread and fed it to his dog, and his dog promptly died. Mm. 
So there was rumors that King Amalric killed his brother to be king, but whatever. Nevertheless, he is now king. But if you uh, call him out, he said, "I didn't kill my brother." I did, yeah, the, I didn't kill my brother. The, the poison, the, the medicine, yeah. killed, killed my brother. Um, and so, the, yeah. So we had, uh, uh, yes, King Amalric, King of Jerusalem, and around this time there was a new warlord. Um, on the scene, and his name was Nur al-Din. Um, and Nur al-Din had Aleppo, he had Mosul, and he had Damascus. So he was one of these... So remember, uh, the Islamic world at this point was separated kind of into the northern part and the southern part. The southern part was the Fatimid Empire in Egypt. And at this point, they were very lavish and very wealthy and very um, fat and passive. And then you had these, the more sort of eastern and northern um, uh, caliphates, and this was, the, the head of their caliphate was in Baghdad, and, oh gosh, I always forget, I'm pretty sure Egypt was Shiite, and the Baghdad caliphate was Sunni. I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100%, I don't want to insult any uh, histor historians out there, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And anyway, Nur al-Din had united all of Syria. He had Aleppo, he had Mosul, he had Damascus. He had sort of united all of these roving bands together under his banner, and he um, was uh, had a dream, and his dream was that he wanted to conquer Egypt. He wanted to unite the entire Muslim world under one banner, and Egypt was weak. And he decided that he was going to take it. So um, it was pretty much understood that the main job of every king of Jerusalem was to make sure that this never happened. The, remember from the last podcast, the only way that the Christians could ever have a foothold in the, um, in the Levant, in the Outream uh, region, was when all the, the Muslims uh, warlords were fighting each other. If, everybody, if ever they got together and were united, like, there, it, was, it was 20 to 1 odds. Like, there was no chance that any, any outsider could gain traction in the land. They would be completely decimated. So the job of the Christian king was to sow dissent? Yeah. It was kind of to, like, pit, try to pit them against each other. Um, if you allied with one, you allied with the weaker one to buff him so that the stronger one couldn't take him over and then renege on your alliance when he gets too strong. And um, and so it was just this wildly complicated political uh, time. So uh, what the king, so King Amalric, his job was that he was going to go and unite with the Fatimid Empire in Egypt to make sure that that Nur al-Din uh, didn't take over um, uh, the entire Muslim world. So let's talk a little bit about the Fatimid Caliphate in Egypt. Um, they were, throughout history, you see this in all these various different civilizations where you always have, like, the god emperor who doesn't do anything, like, doesn't have the job or doesn't work or doesn't control armies. He sort of, like, think of... Think of this, you know, you have this in Japan, you have, you've had this in, uh, in Egypt, and then in the Fatimid Caliphate, you have this emperor whose job it is basically to be the emperor. And everybody worships him, or everybody considers him to be the head of state, but he doesn't really have any practical outworkings in the polis and the civilization. You've got to delegate. You gotta delegate, and so the um, and the, so the the current caliph in Egypt was one of these guys. Apparently, he was very young, he was very handsome, and he enjoyed his pleasure, and he enjoyed not having to do work. 
what i mean duh. reasonable for any <clears throat> yeah. teenager god king yeah. and so then all of this you think of the pharaohs right like this is i just sort of i've often wondered at like how that political unification happens like you see that even with like louis you see that with like louis the 16th in france a little bit or maybe maybe more louis the 14th just the idea that, that you have this complete almost like figurehead and then the real power is given to to these these sort of consuls or these workers, but everybody sort of believes that if that the emperor anyway, so I just I've always found that fascinating. Did you get that from like Divine Right of Kings? Like if you tie in, yeah, but even in the Divine with, Right of Kings, you have a lot of the kings sort of making decisions and doing things. Mm-hmm. But there, but these are ones where they don't do anything. Yeah, um, I remember, uh, and I could be totally wrong about this, but the similar things happening with like the emperor in Japan. You had the mm-hmm. You had sort of the supreme military commander that did all of the did all of the decisions, and you kind of had the emperor who uh, you would have to go to for really big decisions, and he'd be like, "Yeah, sounds good to me. Thumbs up. Go for it." Was it. more like a figurehead. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, how that how human beings sort of have like organized themselves to have powerful yet non functional figureheads is really interesting to me. Anyway. So this is what they had in the caliphate in, in, in Egypt, uh, uh, the, the Fatima Caliphate. And Nur al-Din had his targets set on Egypt. So um, King Amalric decided that he was going to go down and was going to not let this happen. The head of the Templars at this time, mm, who was it? I'm pretty sure the head of the Templars at this time was a guy by the name of um, Bertrand de Blancfort. It's a strong name. Yes. It's a strong name. So yeah. Bertrand de Blancfort, uh, or of the White Fort, is what it translates to, had at one time been a prisoner of Nur al-Adin um, during one of the Templar defeats. You know, they take prisoners, and they usually kill the, like, peasant Templars, like the, the lower, the, the non-noble, and then they would take the noble Templars and... Uh, Sell them. Yeah. You or get keep ransom. his prisoner. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sell him as ransom. So, you can't ransom peasants for much, but you can sure ransom some nobles. Um, so Bertrand of Blancfort was a prisoner of Nur al-Din, and he is now the head of the Templars, and he was with Amalric to go and to try to figure out how to keep Egypt in line. So um, Amalric went to Egypt in 1164 to sort of uh, talk to Egypt uh, basically what they were doing was they would go and they would surround a town with all of their troops, and the Egyptian Fatimid realized that they couldn't fight the Templar, the, the Crusaders, and defend against Nur al-Din. So what would happen would be, you would go and be like, we're going to take your town, we're going to take your town, and then they send a little dude from Cairo, and he'd be like, please don't take our town, we will give you a big bucket of gold to leave us alone. And they'd be like, sweet. And then you come back two years later and get more buckets of gold. Again. Right. So this is what they would do all the time, and this was how you could keep Egypt weak. You keep getting their buckets of gold. And also, um, you could take the town if you wanted to, but if you didn't take the town and got their gold, then um, um, basically, you basically sort of harangue them. You're richer and you don't risk a war. Exactly. You're richer, they're weaker. And then you've got money and you can deploy that against Nur al-Din. Anyway, unfortunately, for uh, as soon as the Crusaders went south into Egypt, Nur al-Din was like, sweet, I'm attacking the north. And he attacked the north and took Antioch. Oh, wow. Um, and Antioch, he attacked Antioch. Um, so you can't do both at once. You can't go on an offensive and then defend against, uh, defend against the, the Muslim invaders in the north. So poor Amalric, I needed to learn his lessons. But as, uh, the Fatimid empire got more, um, lavish 
and more um, sort of crumbling from the inside. They got more decadent. Um, they would offer like crazy amounts of gold that everyone knew they were never going to get. At one point, they offered 3,750 pounds of gold in order to not take over a specific town. And Amalric was like, yes, awesome. I would like 3,000, like 4,000 pounds of gold. Thank you very much. Even though he was never actually going to get it? Yeah. Oh, he was never going to get it, but uh, Amalric basically assumed he was going to get something. Right. Um, So anyway. That's uh, some really impressive looking contracts. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, there was... um, uh, There are these two men that we need to keep in mind in this story. Um, There was... Remember, the, the, the caliph in Egypt is not actually doing this work. He has a sort of head of the government. And that guy's name was um, uh, sh- either Shawar or Shawar. Let's call him Shawar. Okay. Um, so Shawar was the head of the Fatimid Caliphate, functionally. And um, Nur al-Adin had sent down one of his dudes to, with, some, with an army to sort of harangue the Fatimid Caliphate. And that guy's name was Shurka. So we have Shawar and Shurka. And Shurka want He did never Shurka, Shurka his duty. He did not. He was a very dutiful person. And Shurka is going to be very important um, because he is going to have some very important children or family members. Anyway, so Shawar, it's essentially now Shawar versus Shurka. It was never really a hot war. Like they never they never went into battle and slaughtered each other, but there was always this kind of understanding that if Nur al-Din got his way, he wanted Shurka to be the right, he wanted Shirka to, to be the guy that was in charge, not um, Shewar. So, so if you, yeah, I'm I'm having a little trouble tr- trouble tracking. So it has has the have the Christians lost Israel yet or lost Jerusalem? No, Christians are headquartered in Jerusalem. Okay, Christians are headquartered, and uh, the the Nur al Din is trying to head down and trying to get some money, isn't he? Also get so money from Nur al Din wants to basically he wants to take over Egypt, right? Okay, and, and, and we once, were and like the mm-hmm. Christian, they we, they were trying to sort of keep Egypt weak and That's trying right. to get Egypt. Well, on their keep side. Egypt weak, but also like, um, um, yeah, harangue Egypt a little bit, and basically try to make sure that they would never unify with right. with Nur al Din. Um, Nur al Din's t- two tactics were be like open war against Egypt. He doesn't really want to do okay. that. But the better po- idea would be to put Shirka if he could get Shirka to have uh, Shewar's job. Then you have a loyal person who's now the head of and Egypt. And Shirka was an Egyptian. And Shirka was not Egyptian. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Um, How do you do that without war? Um, if the cal- if you could sort of like convince the caliph, if you if at some point you could be like, hey, caliph, you get to keep your palaces, you get to drink your rose water, you can do f- all the falconry you want. How about we just take out uh, Shewar and put in Shirka? Oh, and by the way, your Shiites are now Sunnis. And and so the idea, well, you know, some of the caliphs were fine with that. They didn't want to lose their power and prestige, and they wanted to keep their cushy life. Um, but, you know, so the, there's these political maneuverings in order to do this. Uh, but if he had to do an open throwdown war, he would. Got it. Um, so Amalric went back to Jerusalem super stoked because he has got like 4,000 pounds of gold coming his way, rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lo and behold, a year goes by, and guess what hasn't arrived? Gold. Yeah, 4,000 pounds of gold hasn't right. arrived yet from Egypt. So they were only a few pounds I know, short. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a stickler for No, I don't think they got any gold. contracts. Oh, really? So Amalric was pretty ticked. And so what he did was he decided to send um, a uh, delegate from the Templars named Jeffrey Fulcher. 
Um, These names today. I know. Okay. They're I feel like French. Jeffrey Fulcher is a kid that goes to our school. I know. Yeah, I feel like, like Jeffrey, right? we, we have a... Fulcher! <laughs> Tuck in your shirt. <laughs> anyway, so they decided to send Jeffrey Fulcher to talk to um, Shewar and the Caliph. Now, Jeffrey Fulcher had spent time in the Caliphate before and was pretty familiar with the Caliphate. Um, but he went down and he demanded to speak to the God Emperor Caliphate himself. And everybody was pretty, um, was like, you know, you can't just do that. But he decided he wanted to go and do it. So, um, um, so Jeffrey took his buddy Hugh with him and they went down to get the gold from the Caliph. Basically say like, Hey man, you, you gave a, you gave a deal. Uh, um, if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, like, um, you know, we're going to go invade your country again. So two things. In, in what world does, do you like wake up one morning and you're like, yes, this is a normal thing for a person to be doing, going on a mission to Egypt to retrieve 4,000 pounds of gold. Yeah. I mean, like it's, history's crazy. History is crazy. History is crazy. The second thing is, why hasn't this been made into a film? I know. Jeffrey and Hugh Jeff on a mission Hugh. for Jeff gold? Hugh on a mission for gold. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, it's, even, it's even better. So Jeff and Hugh. So here is a, uh, a passage taken from a, a guy named William of Tyre. Um, he was a contemporary of this time who lived in Tyre, was not really a huge fan of the Templars, um, but here, this is a passage of him describing what happened with William and Hugh. <clears throat> and it's also, um, so part of it's from William of, of Tyre, and then the rest is sort of filled in with this book that we've been doing this from. So Geoffrey and Hugh called uh, the splendor they had seen on their way to the inner sanctum. So the little emperor lived in an inner sanctum of like, you know, temple or castle upon castle upon castle. Um, the inner sanctum, unique and after a fashion unfamiliar to our world. To enter the palace complex, they later told William of Tyre, they were led down dark, narrow passageways, hemmed in on all sides by dozens of bodyguards armed with swords. At each doorway stood large sentries, who saluted the vizier enthusiastically as he passed. The vizier is like the little guide that's bringing the, the Templars to the emperor. Like, Follow me. And mm-hmm. keys, exactly, that guy. Right, that guy. Mm-hmm. Led by the palace's chief eunuch, they walked in wonder through vast courtyards surrounded by walkways, marble columns, and sparkling fish pools where exotic birds sang strange songs. Eventually, they came to the caliph's chambers, which was hung with curtains embroidered in pearls. They watched Shewar, who is a vizier, throw himself three times to the floor at the base of the golden throne and kiss the handsome, sparsely bearded young man's feet, while um, privy uh, counselors and eunuchs looked on from the wings." So, you know, Shewar kissing the feet of this emperor and the Templars are standing there uh, erect and stern and they don't kiss their feet. And they basically say, we had a deal um, uh, and we want you to honor your deal. And uh, and, uh, Jeffrey took off his gauntlet and put his hand forward, wanting the caliph to shake his hand. Mm. This seems like a good way to lose your hand. And everybody freaked out. Yeah, for sure. And uh, uh, thought that there was going to be bloodshed. But no, the caliph got off his like his little languished throne and he got off and he went down and he shook the hand of the Christian Templar man and everyone wow. was like, oh my goodness. Who's this, Jeff? Jeff did this? Jeffrey, yeah, Jeffrey. And he never washed that hand. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, so now we had a military and political pact between the Fatimids and the Christian states. And then, um, uh, and it's probably like, you know, that caliph had probably never shook a man's hand in his life because he didn't have to. He was used to having his feet kissed. Right. And so then, um, Amalric uh, was, uh, they, he went back with some of the gold, and Amalric said that he wasn't going to attack, he didn't get 4,000 pounds, mm. but he said he wasn't going to attack any of their countries, and the Fatimids were not going to ally with the 
uh, with Nur al-Din. Mm. And so sort of the, the, the balance of power was going to be maintained. All we had to do was have everybody keep, just be cool. Just be cool, guys. Just be cool. And everyone was not cool. People Isn't were that not the story cool. of every war? Like, yeah. it's just, guys, be cool, but people aren't nope. cool. Yes. Um, Amalric decided not to be cool. Uh, cool. Um, uh, Amalric went and attacked uh, one of the Egyptian towns, uh, sensing weakness, and it did not go well for him. Um, and so Amalric was like, yeah, screw the Egyptians. They gave us, we got a big bunch of money, and we're going to go attack their towns. And so then what did Shewar, who does Shewar go to in order to help him to fight against uh, stupid King Amalric and the Christian Templars? Nur al-Din. Mm. So Shewar goes to Nur al-Din. He's like, hey, man, I know you want to conquer Egypt, and I know we're not really the best of friends, but these guys betrayed us. They shook hands with the caliph, and they betrayed us. Let's teach them a lesson. And Nur al-Din was like, that sounds awesome. Right. And so um, Nur al-Din said, hey, okay, I want you and um, Shirka to organize a meeting. Just have a meeting where you organize uh, how this whole... Uh, military campaign is going to go down. Can you do that, Shewar? And Shewar was like, yeah, I can totally do that. And so then um, Shurka was like, all right, meet me at this garden tomorrow. And then Shewar shows up to the garden. And Shewar and Shurka are like underlings to the head so, em- god emperor? Shurka is underlings to Nur al-Din. Shewar is underlings to the Fatimid Caliphate, okay. the, the caliph of Egypt. Got it. And so then Shewar shows up and he's like, oh, man, where's Shurka? He's taking forever. And then a bunch of dudes come out from behind the bush and... Like butcher Shewar, yeah. uh, they stab him and kill him and cut his head off, and, and um, so he's dead. Yeah. So they kill him in the in the garden, and um, I like the stabbing motion you just made. Oh yes, I, I know our listeners cannot see that, but it was. So basically, yeah. what had happened was Shurka showed up and he had his little henchman, and he's like, "I'm gonna go for a walk around this pond, and when I come back, I want Shewar to be dead." So Shurka went on this little walk around the pond, and then Shewar shows up, promptly gets murdered. And then Shurka comes back and he's like, oh my goodness, somebody <laughs> kills Shewar. Um, and then they go to the caliph, the Fatimid caliph, and um, basically said, uh, he, he, he walked into the caliph's chambers and he said, hey, caliph, I'm your new vizier. And so Shurka was now the new vizier of, of Egypt and Nur al-Din has now united all of the Muslim world against um, uh, united all of the Muslim world. Um, Nur al-Din's an old dude. Um, um, eventually, Nur al-Din dies, and um, and um, Shurka uh, is kind of in control, but he's an old guy too. And when he dies, he passes on this entire united empire to his nephew. And his nephew's name was Saladin. Mm, there we go. So this is how Saladin gets in control of this new sort of this new United Empire. Mm. Now we remember Saladin because um, uh, from the podcast on the Plantagenet podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which one it is, but if you he's the one that fights against Henry, right? Uh, Richard the First, Richard, Richard yeah, Lionheart, Richard. and we're not going to talk about Saladin and Richard Lionheart because you can go back and listen to that podcast. So today we're going to go all the way up to when Richard shows up um, to uh, the Holy Land, and we'll kind of see. Uh, um, maybe we'll do one more Templar and then be done with it. But um, but anyway, so now they've got Saladin, and Saladin essentially Saladin's rise to power ends the Fatimid Caliphate. Um, they kind of got old and fat and uh, decadent, and Saladin starts this new caliphate 
called, uh, uh, I think it's called, pronounced like the Ayubids, Ayubids, A-Y-Y-U-B-I-D-S. It was named after his dad, hmm. um, which is kind of nice. That is nice. And um, Saladin's a pretty, guy, pretty good guy. Um, so when Shirka dies, Saladin takes over the Egyptian caliphate and promptly convert, uh, now says, all right, everybody, we're now, now Sunnis. Um, and then uh, sort of allies themselves with uh, all the other caliphates that are now basically surrounding Jerusalem, surrounding Israel, what we now know as Israel, surrounding um, the Crusader states. So from the north in basically Turkey and Syria, the east all the way down through the Sinai Peninsula and uh, uh, obviously um, you know Saudi Arabia and into Egypt, you have a relatively unified Muslim um, caliphate and then all of the Templars and the Crusader states in the middle of that of that donut. And this spells real danger. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's like if all the bees all got together ever. All the bees, like yeah. in the world? Yeah, we'd be in trouble. We would be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah if every you single... You didn't mean, mean, mean me. The bee, the Magby family? Yeah, no, yeah, we mean like the insects. No, you guys would be fine. You'd be like, okay, you'd good. be our emissary to the bees. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. naturally. Yeah. Thank you. Good. So Saladin, he was kind of a great guy. He was generous. He was pious for... Uh, he was witty. He was, I mean, for his time, relatively humane. There's going to be lots of stories where he um, lets people go. There's going to be lots of stories where he shows great sort of magnanimity to conquered heroes. But there's also going to be some stories where he has old grudges and he throws down when he has uh, those grudges. So it's 1169 and um, Saladin is now in control of this large Muslim empire surrounding uh, the Crusader states. Mean, so while, while this was going on, the Templars kind of had another problem, and the Templars had been dealing with this group of people who lived in a mountain, and this is, these guys are super cool. So they were an uh, organization who specialized in showy public murders. What? And do you know what their name was? Showy public murders. It's What's where the we group get, that it's where we get the, the term. Yeah, probably them. No, it was it's it's where actually we get the assassin. term. They were assassin. the assassins. Okay. They were called they were the first they assassins. They were just called assassins. They were called assassins. I looked into it. They were probably called assassins because they had a fondness for hashish. Oh. And that's why <laughs> really? hashish was where they got the term assassin. So That's really funny. That's life getting ripped and killing people. I know. Like, so like, assassins jobs they wake lived, and bake and then kill. <laughs> so they lived on a mountain. <laughs> And they lived on a mountain, and they had the head of the assassins, and he was called the old man of the mountain, and nobody knew his name. And if you wanted somebody killed, you would write a letter and send a bag of money to the old man on the mountain, and you'd say, hey, this person, uh, you know, in my village or whatever deserves to die. Uh, and then he would send his dope assassins. Uh, <laughs> in both senses, thank you. But in yes, both you. senses of the word. He would send his assassins and they would go off and they would do these big showy public murders or they would, you know, secretly murder but leave the body very publicly, um, um, you know, displayed. With like a legalize it carved into the chest. Yeah, one of their, yeah. no, one of their <laughs> tricks would be like, um, if it was a nobleman, they would dress up as a peasant and they'd be like, my lord, I have a message for you. And then the Lord would be like, what's your message? And then they did sort of mumble something. And the Lord would be like, what did you say? And lean over on his horse. And then the assassin would get closer and he'd have a knife in his like sleeve and like, this is the message. And he'd jam it in like their throats. Thanks. So that was like a, a common assassin thing to do. I mean, they're, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, it's, it, this is, it's pretty, 
Anyway, pretty terrible. Um, so, but awesome. But awesome. Yeah, okay. So the Templars had a fort that was really close to the Assassin Mountain, and the, the mountain was called... Uh, um, oh, man, I can't remember the name of the mountain. It's not... I can't remember the name of the mountain, but they had this awesome uh, castle. So the Assassins didn't really care about the Templars. They, in fact, the Assassins paid the Templars lots of gold every year to let them do their assassinating, mm-hmm. assassinations in peace. But every now and then... Um, Templars and the Assassins would kind of have a skirmish. And it, and around this time, it got kind of heated to the point where the Templars' focus were on the Assassins and not so much on Saladin. So Saladin, yes, he had controlled, he he was sort of the head of this, of this big caliphate, but he had to go and he had to meet with warlords and he had to talk to them and he had to do all this political maneuvering to get troops, to organize, to have them agree that they needed to kill the Franks. That was what they called the Christians. Mm. And not everybody was on board for this, so Saladin had to do some consolidating. So he's off doing some consolidating, and the Templars are fighting the assassins. And um, um, there's this, so the, the old man of the mountain, again, we didn't know who he was, sent one of the highest-ranking assassins named Abdullah as a noble messenger to come and talk to King Amalric about like some some sort of guidelines of where the assassins can work and where and the Templars leave them alone, basically have a little bit of a parlay, a little bit of a truce. I don't think I would ever let an <laughs> emissary from the assassins now, come into my house. But if they said they weren't going to stab you, seems legit. Yeah, if they said they weren't going <laughs> to stab you, you kind okay. of you kind of agree have to agree with them. And I, I at this point, I'm imagining they all talk like total bros. Like, yeah, bro, totally not. Yeah, like, yeah. remember, yeah, they, they love the hashish, so you know, they're kind of chilled out when they need to be. Um, so, uh, so Abdullah goes and they negotiate peace and they negotiate terms and how everybody can work. And then when when Abdullah is leaving. This one Templar filled with righteous indignation, uh, his name was Mul- uh, Walter of Walter Mesmil, I think his last name was, like, or his place was. I can't remember. All I remember is he had one eye. Uh, he, was an old, he was an old grizzly Templar with one eye, and he was so ticked that the assassins were getting these terms of peace that he rode out and killed Abdullah in the desert. Oh, wow. And the assassins were mad, and they have the assassins mad at you, and that was a whole thing. Right. Um, <laughs> The wrong Making people. It, yeah, yeah, it's the wrong, wrong group. Oh, like they're like the the Templars are idiots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they named the profession after these guys, yes. right? Anyway, so they don't, yeah, exactly. don't suck at the job. Anyway, so the king was super ticked, and he went to the head of the Templar order, order whose name was Odo. Odo. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Odo. So Odo was the head of the Templars, and no, it's not the same Odo from Deep Space Nine. Um, did you ever watch Deep Space Nine? Star nope. Trek Deep Space Nine. How can you be sure? Oh, not, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How could you yeah, be sure that they're the same? Oh, because our Odo hasn't. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. Okay, no spoilers. Um, so he was like Odo of of. They all have the French names. Odo of Sam, someplace or other. Anyway, Odo. So the king's like, dude, get your Templars in line. Bring Walter to justice. And Odo was like, this is an internal Templar matter. Okay. And so the reason I'm telling this story is just because. The Templars were really useful for the for the politicians of the day, but whenever they were they did something dumb like this, they would always say, "Hey, this is an internal matter. We're going to deal with it as an order. We're going to deal with it as brothers. We're go- and remember, we're exempt from the laws of the land, and the Pope can't tell us what to do." So you know, 
every king was like, ah, oh, you're technically right. <laughs> Um, but, you know, this just sort of highlights that the Templars are a useful tool, but they definitely have carved out some immunities for themselves. So when you go, when one of your one of your dudes goes and kills the peaceful emissary of the assassins, enraging the old man of the mountain, you just got to eat it. There's nothing you mm. can do as King Amalric. Uh, you can't be, you can't go to the King of the Mountain and say, hey, look, we put Walter to justice because Odo won't let you. So the church was kind of concerned about this, and they actually, um, the Third Lateran Council in 1179 was all, well, part of it was, hey, we should probably curb the Templars' um, uh, rights, and and, uh, and it didn't really work very well. Um, but the church was a little nervous about this, that the Templars were uh, carving out too much political power for themselves. Anyway, um, then there was a show, the first showdown between Saladin and the Christian uh, Franks of, of uh, the Holy Land. And so this was between the Templars, uh, the Hospitallers, who didn't start off time. as a military order, but right. they kind of got roped into being a military order, seeing how good the Templars did. And then when the Templars disappear, they go back to being a non-military order. And we talked about last podcast how they still exist. Um, and so, um, uh, the reason why Saladin decided to attack the Christians is that King Amalric dies. Uh, old man, he dies, um, and his son becomes king, and his son's like 12, and his son is Baldwin IV, and unfortunately for poor Baldwin IV, he's a leper. Mm, so, wow. he's very sick, he has leprosy, he like loses an arm with leprosy, and so you have this... Um, um, you have this sort of weak king, so Saladin was like, hot dang, I'm going in. Right. And they have this big battle against the Templars at, um, at, at the, uh, 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 the field of battle is called Montgesard. And Saladin can't, comes in, he's got lots of, of uh, he's got numerical superiority. But against all odds, the Templars and the Hospitallers win. They have, they come in with their banners, they come in with the fragment of the true cross, and they're like waving it around, um, and they do this like noble charge against Saladin's forces, and they end up winning. It's wow. this huge um, sort of uh, black eye for Saladin. He came in with numerical superiority, and he gets beaten by the Templars. And of course, the Templars are like, God's on our side! Right. And you know, the whole thing, and Saladin is ticked. Um, so he retreats, and... Um, 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 Saladin lost a number of his personal guards. Uh, his personal guards were called the Mamluks, and the Mamluks were they were um, uh, stolen slave children from um, basically like Mongolia, hmm. like the Asian steppe. How does this story keep getting cooler? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So he just Mamluks. keep on mentioning rad things. So he had, yeah. So the Mamluks are uh, trained warriors that were, um, uh, yes, they were slave children taken from Mongolia, and they wear armor and then they wrap themselves in yellow silk when they fight. Super, Frankly, that's terrifying. Yeah, they're super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, anyway, but the, a lot of them die to the Templars. So so the Mamluks, are, think of them as like... Who are a bunch of dopey peasants in like white frocks. Yeah, yeah. No, but, the, but then there was the, the big sort of nobles who could throw down. Um, but the Mamluks were kind of the, the Muslim version of this, this holy warrior. Some, like the, everything was trained for war. And so they were kind of like the, the natural counterparts of the Templars. And so when they fought, it was super rad. It was just like, you know, epic. Anyway, in this one, the Templars ended up winning. Um, um, and, you know, these Mamluks are expensive. They spent their whole life being trained. 
Saladin's super, super cheesed that he lost a bunch of his uh, personal guard, and he goes back to sort of lick his wounds. And now the Christian nation is kind of, uh, you know, they're okay uh, military-wise, but they've got this, like, leper king, um, so they have to figure out what they're going to do. Um, so they decide to do two things. The first thing they do is they build a sweet new castle. Um, so because they've got uh, a Saladin on the ropes, and they go and they build this castle just north of Nazareth. No, north of Nazareth? North, north of, sorry, just north of the Sea of Galilee. They create this castle called Jacob's Ford. And it's supposed to be the place where Jacob, like, divided his family uh, in, in the Old Testament. And it was a place that was sacred to both Christians, but more, it was more sacred to Islam. It was a sacred place, for, and I can't remember the story there. But they built this castle, and that cheesed off every uh, Muslim because this is, they're building, you know, a Christian fort on a sacred grounds. Um, so Saladin claimed that he was going to destroy that fort one day. But it was really important because the fort um, was the central hub that would control all the flow of goods, essentially from like Morocco all the way to China. It was like this super strategic location, and it was now in Christian hands, and Saladin puts his target on that castle. He's going to destroy it. So that's the first thing they do. Is destroy that castle. Is to go destroy that castle. So Saladin gets his buddies together, He um, and um, there's a huge uh, uh, fight, and... Um, Odo, the head of the Templars, gets captured. Mm. So Odo gets captured, and he's and then they look in his cell, and <laughs> all that's there is a chair. <laughs> that like, wasn't there before. <laughs> <laughs> so you have you, you have no idea what have we're no talking, idea about. What you're talking about. Odo was a shapeshifter in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It this was on Star the, Trek. Are you have okay. homework to do? Maybe. Yeah, I yeah. do not. Deep yeah, Space I, Nine is an excellent I have, series. I have missed out on nothing. Cisco OP too. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Cisco for sure OP. Yeah. Sorry, I'm um, busy reading great books and, <laughs> and spending time with my family. I'm so um, sorry. I, I don't know. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, and Odo is the well-meaning but stern, like uh, chief security, of, chief, chief of security yeah, officer yeah. on this space station, and, he can, and he's a shapeshifter. And he's a shapeshifter. Okay. So like he'll turn into chairs and then like listen to criminals talk. And then they'll be like, like, I got you. <laughs> they'll be like, wow, flip. <laughs> I okay. thought you were a lazy boy. <laughs> so Odo gets captured and he eventually dies in prison. So it's a pretty like ignoble end for the head of the Templars. Uh-huh. And then um, Saladin digs trenches underneath the walls of this of uh, Jacob's Ford and digs. He, he saps the walls. He digs trenches and then he supports them with wooden structures. So basically now the, 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 the whole wall is on wooden underground wooden trellises and then he sets fire to those trellises and then the whole all the walls collapse and there was such a rush of hot air when all the walls collapsed that it set all the the tapestries and tents on the inside of the castle on fire and um and then the, the <laughs> and Saladin's like nice yeah Saladin was like this is, this is awesome <laughs> that really worked out <laughs> and then all the the uh the Saracens rush in and the Templars had a noble last stand and then the last person to die was the guy whose whose job it was was to protect the castle and um uh, he threw himself uh, with his sword blazing into the flames hacking and slashing as he fell down a staircase into his like fiery death and all the Saracens were like that was dope yeah. <laughs> um but he's but he dies yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> and then after that, uh, Saladin's destroyed this castle and there's a two year truce. He calls a truce so the Templars can go and they can like build up their ranks and Saladin can go and he can build up his ranks. So, um, the Templars now ask for help, um, from 
Henry II, King of England, and Philip II, who was 15 years old, uh, who's the King of France. And they're like, hey, do either of you want to come be King of Jerusalem? Because we've got a leper boy who's real bad, and he's going to die soon. Mm -hmm. And Henry II was like, no, I don't want to do that. And Philip's like, I'm 15. Um, So he didn't come either. So they're like, okay. You guys like baseball? Yeah, exactly. So we're like, crap, what are we going to do? Um, so now we need to be introduced to a couple of new characters. Okay. Um, Guy or Guy, we'll call him Guy, Guy de Lusignan. Um, and he was married to the leper king's sister, Sibella. So Guy of Lusignan was married to Sibella. Okay. And Sibella Isn't had- Isn't there a movie about this? Maybe. Yeah. Um, Sibella has a child from her first husband who died. And that child is, um, uh, they ask, they, they, they set up that baby to be the co-king with Baldwin IV. Mm-hmm. I've had trouble saying co-king before on these podcasts. From our, yes. our um, Plantagenets episodes. Yes, right? not yes. cocaine. Thank you. Thank co-king. You. Yes. So now we've got a like, 18, like a 21-year-old leper and like a eight-year-old or like a two-year-old baby as Great. king. Wonderful. And um, so um, uh, Guy of Lusignan, he was uh, married to Sibella. And so, um, and Guy of Lusignan there, uh, was not king of, of Jerusalem, but he's essentially acting like one because Baldwin can't do anything. And he hated this guy named Raymond of Tripoli. And Raymond of Tripoli was the head of the county of Tripoli in the north. And Guy and Raymond, not buddies, did not like each other. Baldwin IV, the leper king, dies. And the Templars then ask if anybody else wants to be king. And then everyone was like, no, I don't want to be king. So you have this like baby king. Um, and... Um, uh, the Templar goes off and he, the, the head of the Templars after Odo goes on off and asks if somebody wants to be king. He dies on voyage. So they elect this new Templar head and his name is Gerard of Ridefort. And Gerard of Ridefort is by far the most headstrong and stupidest head of the Templars in Great. maybe not all of Templar history, but the, but the dude did He's not make there. good decisions. Yeah. So Gerard and Raymond. So remember, Guy and Raymond don't like each other. Gerard and Raymond have a history. Gerard, before he was a Templar, came to the Holy Land, and Raymond was like, dude, I got a girl you should marry. And Gerard was like, that's awesome. I've always, always wanted to marry a rich girl. And Raymond's like, I got you, buddy. And so Gerard is like waiting for this day that he's going to get married. And then he finds out that this girl got married to somebody else. And he goes to Raymond. He's like, what the heck? I was going to marry this girl. And Raymond said, yeah, but... This other guy paid me a lot of money. Okay. So um, Gerard was like, I am vowing eternal revenge on you. And Raymond was like, bro. <laughs> Seems like an overreaction. Yes. But. And then Gerard is so mad that um, this happens. He like gets super sick and then he almost dies. And in his illness, he like says to God, God, if you save me from death, I will go be a Templar. And then he gets healthy and he goes and becomes a Templar. And then he's elected head of the Templars. Wow. So now, all for revenge, right? Now the head yeah. of the Templars is super ticked at Raymond, and the, and Guy de Lusignan, married to Sibella, is also super ticked at Raymond. And so they say, you know what we should do? Oh, then the baby dies. Wait, and who's Raymond? Raymond is the county is the count of Tripoli. He's like a, a, the head of another 
province in the north. Okay, so they're trying to like rally forces to come and yeah, they they should all be united against Saladin, but got they it. don't like each other. Okay, and then the little baby. So Baldwin, really, the rules have been reversed, right? Exactly. He's, okay, got it. Then baby Baldwin the fifth dies at eight years old, and it's a very touching uh, funeral, and and his tomb at the Holy Sepulchre is like a little baby Jesus surrounded by dead baby birds. It's very sad. Um, but then they're like, okay, we don't really have a king. We should do what they used to do. We should have a panel and we should all get together and choose who's going to be king. Apparently this, there was one like famous French story in like before Charlemagne where they elected a king and it went really well. And everyone was like, this is great. Let's elect a king. So Raymond and Guy and then the head of the Templars, Gerard get together and they're like, who should be king? And, um, the Templar and Guy say Sabella should be queen and Raymond like selects somebody else. So Sabella and Guy and Gerard decide that they're going to coronate Sabella before Raymond can figure out what to do. Now there's a problem. To be coronated as king or queen in Jerusalem, you need to have three of the holy artifacts. The Templar has, and they're in a big old locked chest and there's three separate keys. The Templar has one, the Patriarch of Jerusalem has one, and the head of the Hospitallers has the third. The Patriarch and the Templar were super dope with having Sabella be queen. They're like, yeah, let's have you be queen. The Hospitaller guy was like, no, nah, I don't really like how this is going. I don't want to do it. So apparently uh, Gerard, the head of the Templars, went and basically harangued the head of the Hospitallers until the head of the Hospitallers gave up the key. He was so mad, he threw it in the courtyard. He's like, there's your key. And he threw it out the window. And uh, Gerard was like, thank you very much. Yeah. Took the key, unlocked the treasure, crowned Sabella, and Sabella immediately said, my king is Guy of, of, of Lusignan. So now Guy is king of Jerusalem, and Raymond's like, ah, dang. The king hates me, and the head of the Templars hates me. Right. This stinks. Um, Raymond even goes as far as to ally with Saladin. Wow. So he goes to Saladin, and he's like, everybody but south of me I hate. Um, I will allow you to ride your troops through my nation. And Saladin was like, yes, awesome. I will do this. Um, <laughs> I will take your free handout for no reason. Exactly. Thank you. And, um, and then Saladin's like, um, Saladin then surrounded Nazareth, and he was going to take over Nazareth. And then Guy and Raymond... Sorry, Guy and Gerard take all the forces and they go and they get to Saladin at, uh, at Nazareth. And they sort of survey the scene. They're going to be this big battle. And all the people came up to Guy, the king, King Guy, and they're like, hey, man, we should probably withdraw. Like, this, is a pretty, this is a pretty bad situation. We're going to get slaughtered if we attack. And then Gerard was like, Christians don't retreat. Are you all cowards? Wow. And Guy had been called a coward before because during one of his campaigns when he was younger, he very smartly kept withdrawing and he ended up winning, but everyone was like, Guy's a coward. He never wants to fight. And so Gerard was like, so King Guy, are you going to be a giant coward? Are you going to be a big wuss or are you going to charge the enemy? And Guy's like, I'm going to charge the enemy. So they charged the enemy and um, it was our Christian duty to charge. And um, uh, Gerard, uh, the hospitalers were like, this is a bad idea. We right. should not do this. And Gerard, the head of the Templars, basically made fun of the head of the hospitalers. His name was Roger of Moulin. And he basically like called him a coward and laughed at him. He's like, oh, the coward doesn't want to charge. They all charged anyway. Turns out Saladin's forces was 20 times oh larger gosh. than the, the Christian forces. Yeah. It was the, and they were absolutely slaughtered. Right. Guy survives, the king, he, he escapes. Um, Gerard, the head of the Templars, he escapes wow. essentially by the skin of his teeth. 
Um, but Roger of Moulin, who they, uh, who they called a coward, was killed in battle. Mm. And this was the Battle of Cresson, and uh, it was a huge uh, defeat to the Templars. Um, and uh, one chronicler said that the battle was fit to turn black hair gray. Um, uh, but there was there's one, and maybe we'll end with this since we're coming up to time. We won't get to one of the, the cool battle. We'll have to start with that next one. Uh, but there was this one tale of this one Templar. He was a young Templar. His name was James of Maie, M-A-I-L-L-E. He was a young guy. And he was the last Templar standing after everybody else was killed or all the other Templars had, had sort of uh, left the field of battle. He stayed standing with his sword fighting and all of the Saracens gathered around him in this big, you remember, 20 times the people, in this big semicircle around him and they begged him to stop fighting. They're like, we're just going to kill you. Stop fighting. And James of Maie was like, no way. I'm a fight to the death. And they're like, fine. And they fought him and they killed him. And the, the Saracens were so uh, taken with James of Maie's bravery that they actually gave him like a proper burial and they didn't desecrate his body. Like, well, like the Christians would desecrate the Muslim bodies. They would like baptize him after the death and be like, ha, ha, ha. And then the Muslims would... would um, um, ha ha, we got you into heaven, yeah. you nerds. Yeah, and, like. and the Muslims would, <laughs> would scalp the Christians and then put them on banners and make the prisoners ride horses with these scalp banners. So See, that seems like better mocking. Yeah. So they, they yeah. would do terrible things to each other, but for James of Maie, they like respected him. Wow. And, um, and even apparently Saladin, uh, was said to have remarked that because of his white robe and white horse, he felt like he was fighting, uh, jo uh St. George himself. Wow. And, um, uh, apparently James of Maie's body became a huge source of relics. You know, these things happen in the Middle Ages, you know, like his finger bone and that kind of thing. But there was one, and this is kind of off color, so maybe if you have a child, you may want to skip ahead 30 seconds. But one person... Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait for me to get to the dial. Okay. okay. So one of the relics, someone claims to have taken the nether regions of James of Maie because he was, he was hoping that with it, he could beget children who were as brave as James. <laughs> that's weird. I don't so like I don't know how you get that through customs, but... Yeah, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. But um, so there you go. That's weird. Um, and uh, so this was a huge uh, uh, defeat for the Templars, but King Guy and Girard, uh, the head of the Templars, went back to lick their wounds, and they're like, all right, we got to get Salad at another point. We're completely out of time. We're going to have to start the third podcast by talking about the next big show then, the showdown that they were going to have when Saladin uh, besieges Tiberius. Um, but I'll give you a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a preview for it. When Guy and Gerard and all the Templars and Hospitallers and Christians went out to find Saladin as he was surrounding Tiberius, apparently uh, an eagle flew over the troops, over the Christian troops, and the eagle was holding a crossbow and seven crossbow bolts um, that were supposed to be the seven sins, and the eagle was crying out, Woe to thee, O Jerusalem! So, not a good omen. <laughs> um, that was the omen for the battle we just heard about? No, the battle, the, the, the battle that we're going to start the, the next, next podcast how many, with. How many dudes have to report that before you start yeah. believing it's legit? I saw this eagle carrying a crossbow <laughs> and like hollering stuff. 
<laughs> nah, Dave. And he's like, hey, look at that eagle. You've been hanging out with the assassins again. Yeah. You gotta lay off that stuff, man. <laughs> I wonder if that's a good that eagle's got a crossbow. I wonder if that's a good omen or a bad omen. And the eagle's like, whoa to you, oh Jerusalem. It's like that's probably a bad omen. <laughs> he's like, I thought it was like, whoa to you. Whoa. Like, whoa. <laughs> Anyway, so they're riding off to attack Saladin, and this eagle is telling them that woe is in trouble for for the Christians. And so we will start off next podcast with that battle. Okay. But are there like any, I don't know, are there any themes to these? Are there any big takeaways? To the Templars? Yeah. Middle Ages were crazy. Middle Ages were crazy. Don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. I mean, yeah. That that a single small nation surrounded by all like, you know, folks that want to take it back is hard to defend. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's just like a catalog of errors. Like the, the Templars, they were not, they had spirit, but not, but not much else. Right. <laughs> Real big feelings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait but, to uh, hear how the, they their shrewd. skirmish with the assassins yeah, turns out. P- poorly. Not, poorly. Do we get more in, news on no, that? No, the assassins kind of uh, fade into history after that. No, As they should. Man, they just sound awesome. They're probably still around. They're, they're the ones who are actually running things? Yeah. Okay, great. Good. With the yeah. Templars. With the they, Templars. Un- they work together. Oh That's word. what happened. They oh united. Okay. That's where the Masons come from. Okay, good. <laughs> great. They had kids <laughs> who were the Masons. All right, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can check out our website at classicalstuff.net. We have all of our back episodes there. I know that some of our episodes roll off and you can't see the early ones, like one through six or so. It's when it was just me and Graham and we were both working with some pretty sad microphones and we had to talk cheek to cheek to get into the microphone. So if it's weird, it's weird. It's weird, But you can go hear our early episodes. The content's still pretty decent. And then you can tweet at us at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And on the twits and you can email us classical stuff at veritasacademy.net we'll try to get back to you as soon as we can we get lots of good emails um, we got one email from a listener that said we talk a lot about bringing up Christian men and, and why not bringing up Christian women um, I, I don't know that that was intentional sexism on our part I think maybe it's just because like we run male leadership classes and so we deal with like raising the gentleman sure. at school. And so I, I like, it's more awkward for me to deal specifically with female students, especially on a one-on-one mentorship context. I'm sure in some cases when we're talking about raising Christian men, we're probably speaking out of turn and thinking, using man, man in the terms of mankind. Yeah, that was but my the, other But the other, the other uh, truth is that like the, the great most sort stories of... and authors, this, right. Well, I'm going to say most of the... the um, expectations that our school places upon the male faculty is that we have involvement in the lives of the male students and right. then on the female faculty that they have more involvement. Like there's female Bible studies run by our female teachers. And right. Have, so I mean, so it might be incidental, but that that's not yeah. like being raised up in good education and in spirit should, should not be, it's not a sexist thing, right? It's, it's available to all. Very yes. Equitable. And then, and, and these, um, things that we're talking about are not solely tailored to to males yeah, males, uh, yeah, in yeah. Any, by any sense of the imagination. Yeah. Um, anyway, just thought I'd, uh, cool, you know, cool. so thanks for calling us out on that, faithful listener. And uh, we, we do read your emails. We'll try to get back to you. And I suppose that's me and the boys signing off. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Hanging out with us for another episode. We'll see you next time. Bye. Cheers. Bye.